Hi there and welcome to a new episode of Impact Talks. Today we have a great guest with us. We have Daniela Whiteman, the Managing Director of Converse. Now, usually I don't do the introductions. I would love for you to introduce yourself, tell the people what you do, uh, what you're doing currently in your life and uh, yeah, tell us about yourself. Sure. Thank you so much, Luba, for, for inviting me here as well. Um, I, I usually love to, to split this answer in three, uh, that is uh, past, present and future. Uh, and uh, instead of uh, the segmentation of, uh, of personal work and academic, I, I think that uh, your life is much more blended um, than, than just setting those segmentations. Yeah. So I'm, um, uh, I was born in, in Rio, Brazil, uh, born and raised. I'm, uh, as we speak, I'm, I'm, I'm in Rio right now. And um, I come from a very stable family. I'm the youngest of three sisters and um, uh, with, uh, with a very business mind dad um, and, uh, and a very artistic mom. Um, and um, uh, had a very stable childhood, uh, always uh, in, in Brazil, going to the summer house every, every weekend, uh, really had a very stable uh, childhood. Uh, which, which not necessarily is what I'm giving back to to my kids, right? So, but we'll get there later yeah. on. Uh, I uh, I did um, um, do engineering. Um, my dad is an engineer, and uh, and I always uh, have have been very intrigued about uh, about making the complex simple. Uh, that was what for me tempted uh, for me to to be an engineer. And um, after doing my master in science and engineering, I, I decided to, to search for a job on, on a corporate world, uh, given the global uh, component that the, the, the global corporations do have. Why, why would you go after an engineering to corporates? What, I, would, I would think that you would have to have some type of idea that you go for an MBA or business administration uh, education instead of engineering yeah that's uh i i've always been very curious and uh, and during my my master i it was a bit of a different master in science degree i did partner with a couple of companies during my masters to be able to uh, do scientific testing in products while finding a way to uh, drive profitable profitable innovation on certain products, right? So uh, the the business aspect of the engineering has always been with me, uh, and um, and when uh, when I was just about to graduate in my master, uh, uh, Vela at the time uh, was looking into how to optimize their supply chain and operations in Latin America, and uh, they were partnering with McKinsey, and McKinsey went to. Uh, the best uh, universities in Brazil to search for students that would like to lead this uh, this uh, transformation for them, and and I was one of the selected students and uh, and uh, started to work directly with hair cosmetics, in in um, on a very uh, international, uh, multi-country um, and uh, multifunctional job. So that was the the main kickoff of my corporate career and I had quite a lot of uh, liberty and flexibility and, and autonomy within that job to uh, to set up what is going to be the new business model of the future. Uh, so 
is that so is after... that something normal um when you just start at a corporate job because my impression was always when you first start you kind of have to go through the grind you don't have that much freedom it doesn't yeah i i don't think it was normal uh that to, to your point love i think it was quite uh quite a, uh, an amazing chance that I had that I was given so much uh, so much freedom and so much uh, at least uh, autonomy to, to test and learn uh, some things I, I I do believe that uh, I developed quite a lot some other things I was quite junior and today if I look back I see wow how did I do that that way and and one of those was uh, in management I was a horrible manager and immediately uh, I was taken care of of a big team. Because how and, many uh, people were under your management and how old were you back then? I was uh, 23, yeah, 23. And, uh, and, and actually, I did have a, a team of 10 to start with. I had managers of managers uh, and, and I was not necessarily that much giving much uh, love and caring to the team. I just had one idea in mind was going on and, and somehow that first uh, job also taught me well i do need to uh, to take care of the team and bring a team along uh, uh, not only use my, my intellect and, and influencing skills to to drive strategy uh, into implementation so that was my my main learning from from that job is that well find a way to uh, to develop people to bring people along to um to, to understand that the transformation do happen at the individual level. It doesn't matter if uh, the strategy is right, you do need to bring the people along. So, um, so okay, so a lot to unpack there. So you got the team um, and then you say you've learned all these lessons. I've usually, um, when I look back at obviously how we're scaling our teams, I usually learn my lessons after something bad has happened. Did you learn your lessons like after something bad has happened or was it just something gradual as you were scaling? How did you learn the lessons that you're saying right now? Yeah, I, I believe it's much more of a ret now that I reflect upon that time, I can see that I could have done a much better job. So it, nothing really bad happened, but I, now that I reflect back, I see, well, I could have done a much better job in bringing people along uh, as a manager. So do you have uh, an example maybe for also the listeners to know what to avoid and what what could be better? Yeah, well, actually, I, I did not have uh, like formal one-on-ones with my employees, for example, with my direct reports, right? Uh, uh, I, I did not have uh, necessarily a dedicated coaching session on their development. Uh, uh, it would be less formal, more informal. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I did not necessarily have a, a structured support on career development. It was much more informal. Not that it, this is bad, but I believe that nowadays I do have much better tools and, and more awareness of how I should at least help them to structure um, their, their, uh, their development, their, their um, happiness at the job, their, their yeah. day-to-day to really have, uh, have fun at, at work. So, so these one-on-ones, that's something you do weekly or monthly? Nowadays, oh. I, do, I do weekly with all of my, my direct reports. Great. So that's, that's actually a cool system. I don't do 
uh, weeklies. We do team meetings, but we don't do weekly one-on-ones. Uh, you also mentioned coaching. Do you then do monthly coachings or how does your coaching look like? Yeah, it's, it depends uh, a lot on, on the person. And uh, uh, I usually like to give the, the ownership of those one-on-ones to the person that yeah. tell me what you need what do you need to have so it's a, it's an hour that or, or half an hour whatever they need what do you need from me that will make you better at what you do that will yeah. make you a better person yeah and the person can say well today i just don't need to talk about work i just need to talk a bit about what is happening in this in this field of my life yeah so it's more about give them the room to to build to, to that you are here to help to help them yeah and uh, and many times with some with some uh, some of, of my my partners the people I work together with uh, the one-on-ones are not necessarily in a room we, we can have walking one-on-ones right we can uh, go out to, well let's exercise and use this time to exercise and, and go for a walk while we talk uh, let's uh, oh, yeah. Let's make sure that we do have this bonding moment any any way because it's just giving the space that the the meaningful conversations will will flourish and that's exactly what what I would like to to provide. Uh, and and you asked about how do you know when to provide coaching and what is the frequency? Yeah. I I I once learned uh, some some uh, a tip uh, about how. Well, how, how to see what uh, who needs coaching or not and uh, imagine a matrix like uh, that on the vertical axis you do have um, uh, skill yeah yeah uh, if you are up on on the on the axis you do have uh, uh, you do have the skill you are skilled to do that job or, the, the, or to go through that moment and if you do not have if you are down here uh, you were not skilled. Yeah. Imagine that on the horizontal line, uh, it's will. It's uh, do you want to do it? Yeah. So uh, if you are going to the right, you you want to do. You do have the the, the incentive, the courage, the motivation. Uh, on the other side, uh, you do not have the the will to yeah. do it. Yeah. So if you if you don't have um, the 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 skill, but you have the will. Uh, training may help this employee right so a lot of the coaching can be around well how can i provide you the technical training how can you provide you the 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 official training for you to be able to be skilled to do that your job better uh, if you do not have uh, uh, the the will but you have the skill it's much more about how can i how can i inspire you how can i coach you to start to get motivation and energy out of this because you know how to do it you're just not doing it um, or if the person doesn't have both it's much more about a, a meaningful discussion about what is next because if you do not want and you don't know uh, yeah. I, I cannot necessarily uh, train you or coach you you need to decide what to do uh, probably it's a different job uh, and uh, and if you do have both, I, it's where I I I would love to bring all of the people I work with to skilled and with a motivation because that's where magic happens. Yeah, it's where yeah, you sure. can you can start to uh, to create more. You can start to uh, to uh, error more 
to give more room for for risk taking to um, to stretch, develop, and and uh, and do fun things together. I like that matrix a lot. I didn't think about it that way yet. Um, I think also if I reflect about what most of the startups in our community do, and I think as a founder, I'm probably one of those uh, as well. We focus very heavily on the technical part of it. Do you have this skill and less on the on the motivation and willingness? So how do you know when the willingness is not there and how do you coach that or is it just you ask questions and yeah how do you inspire that yeah that this is um this differs from from person to person right so usually at uh, at my current job i do uh like to get back and anchor to the ethos of of what the brand is and and uh, the culture where where i am so we we work with athletes um, and usually if you're an athlete, whatever you tell me that will make me run a second faster, I take it. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it's, uh, look, sometimes you will tell me things that I will not like to hear. So if, if I put it myself saying, look, I, I, I feel like an athlete, tell me something that will make me run this one second faster. I may not like what I hear, but I would love you to tell me anyway. So I, I think that if you put it on you saying that uh, uh, I, I'm willing to, t- to hear even things that are not that good, but I know that you care deeply about me, mm-hmm. uh, then, then you open up uh, uh, this, this level of trust uh, that, the, the, that you start to have a, a meaningful, meaningful challenge. So and you covered also the culture that you're in right now, because um, obviously Converse very well known quite also old as a company now because it's been like a trend uh, many years ago and now again um, I have Converse as well Uh, but I've also saw the connection with Nike which um, took me a while to understand because I thought Converse was its own company what for the listeners what's the connection with Nike what's the culture of Converse how mixed is it with Nike yeah, yeah. Well, we jumped from Vela in Latin America to Converse, but uh, we can get back there yeah, later on. Yeah, we'll on. get back uh, in a bit. Sorry. I Well, Converse, uh, I usually say that is like the 100-year-old startup because it's over 100-year-old and it still feels like a startup. Um, and uh, it was acquired a while ago by, by Nike. And uh, this acquisition enables us to still be... Um, together but independent so uh, converse does have uh, all of the the attributes of a very independent self-standing startup that can decide and can be a bit more agile around how to how to market the brand how to position the brand while we we do have the benefit of uh, all of the innovation background all of the corporate infrastructure all of the global infrastructure uh, that Nike does have, yeah, including digital platforms and so on and so forth. So uh, the the culture, I would say we, we can select the best parts of the more artistic culture uh, that that Converse does have while maintaining and keeping the the big corporation infrastructure in the background. So it's not like, um, let's say, uh, Pixar and the Disney acquisition, Pixar is very much its own Pixar. 
and the Disney acquisition, I don't think, uh, did a lot. Uh, but was there an influence when, like, do you feel obviously as Converse that there is an influence from Nike or how, how does that work? Well, there, there is, there is an influence, um, and this influence does not necessarily impact or change what the brand stands for. So uh, I believe that Nike always has been very clear that the uh, uh, let's maintain the Converse brand intact. Uh, the Converse right. brand is uh, so what can we do to provide infrastructure and support for us to operate globally with that brand we, and not let it independent go bankrupt? But let's maintain the brand intact and what it means. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds. Yeah. That's uh, sounds great. Um, I'm a little bit skeptical about one part because I really want to cover it because I'm pretty sure one of our listeners will think that. But you said you guys um, function like a startup. How come you're saying that? Is it like do you have uh, a few employees per office that allows you to do that? Because obviously, startup is like. I know, like maybe less than 10, 20 people, 30 people maybe. Um, and really like trying to figure things out on a low budget. Um, I can't imagine Converse going through the same experience, is it? No, no, it's uh, well, actually in some areas, yes, but in other areas, not. So it's much more about to, to make a statement. Yeah, compared to the size of Nike, Converse is still a startup and, and oh, okay. there is still um a, a good level of freedom on how to position the brand uh, which uh, which uh, with the, if you look into the consistent way that Nike does position the brand uh, it's uh, it's more uh, not rigid but controlled yeah okay get it so you still have open loops for the branding for the branding and uh, and that's where you can uh, test things a bit faster, I do believe, with Converse, especially if you are uh, executing the brand or responsible for, for a brand on a local market. That is my my responsibility. Yes. I'm, I'm responsible for the north of Europe, uh, Scandinavia, Benelux and uh, NAGS, uh, Austria, Germany, Switzerland. Nice. Okay, so we skipped a lot. Let's go back to Brazil in the beginning. Um, I th I thought I think it was quite important to know those parts uh, just to give context context as well yeah, for me. Absolutely. And but so we go back. Um, when did you finish there? How old were you? And what was kind of when did you know you were gonna move on to the next challenge? Yeah. So I I did I did work quite um, quite some years at uh, at Vela and. Uh, uh, the the reason why I moved is uh, that I, I met my my husband and uh, and he was an expat in Brazil and moved back to Sweden and uh, then I, I resigned and, and moved back with him um, and um, and uh, when when I arrived in Sweden one of the the funny things is that well I said I, I do not necessarily speak Swedish and uh, I would love to uh, but uh, right now I, I need to to somehow find a job and I, from the airport going home I saw a big warehouse written uh, Kraft Foods I said wow Kraft Foods American company I will just give him them a ring I, I, I contacted them and, uh, and said look uh, you may not have a job for me but this is what I've been doing uh, would you would you when you have a job uh, please uh, uh, reach out 
um, and and they did. Uh, and when they did reach out, I was uh, pregnant of my my daughter. And uh, how many months that, later did they reach out to you? Um, it was um, uh, like six months later or something. So they did reach out. I was invited to an interview. I was pregnant at the time during the interview, and um, and then uh, then they said, well, we we do have a job uh, within the chocolate category. We we do need someone that is able to manage all of the functions and and. Uh, and control the PNL of of the the chocolate uh, uh, brands here here in Scandinavia, and um, uh, as soon as I got back from maternity leave, which uh, in Sweden uh, you can split the maternity and paternity leave with the father, so okay. we did split. Um, yeah, I was uh, home for a couple of months. Uh, my husband uh, was home for the other months, uh, and uh, and uh, that did not uh, intervene. And I got the job, even if I was uh, just uh, about to have a a daughter. Because how long is maternity leave in Sweden in total? Thirteen uh, months. Wow! So you split that up in six and a half, six and a half, or? Uh, approximately, I think that in this case it was five and seven. So he took, uh, f- and then the other month I got, I got a nanny, uh, and um, to to help at home because we we both had careers, uh, but at the same time we wanted to be home when when the, our our child was uh, was still a baby, and uh, and. Uh, that was a big lesson for me as well, coming from Brazil, where exception is the rule, I usually say, right? You do not have that much help from the state, from the government. A uh, uh, family needs to help you out. Yeah. When, uh, when, when I went to Sweden and that uh, the social democracy and the gender equality is so ingrained in how society operates and works and... Uh, uh, and I could, I never felt that uh, as a woman, my career was impacted by, by, by my gender, uh, nor my husband ever questioned if he would stay at home or not. We, we would decide that what is best for our family and for his and, and my career at the time. So, so that, that was uh, where this contrast really started to, to ignite in me that an interest around, well, I, I need to to support women to to grow in their leadership later on when i moved out of sweden i saw yeah. well it's not everywhere that it's like uh, the I- I- equality how how in sweden i experienced um then uh, then i had my second child there we built a house uh, i was for a while and in uh, craft foods uh, Lova had um, a philosophy on on talent that uh, uh, if, if you are, are on a fast track development uh, within the company, uh, you should do two, two, two. That means uh, you should work on two functions. Uh, you should work on two uh, territories or geographies, um, or you should work on two categories. Yeah. Categories being chocolate and coffee or chocolate and, um, and, and snacks. Isn't that like multitasking? Isn't that going against the cliche of focus on one no it's not necessarily simultaneously you should along your career with a company learn uh, from two points of view function wise or two points of view on a category because they do have quite different consumer motivations or from if you put yourself on a big corporation on a, on a more global role that is more strategic, you probably do not know how your decisions are impacting the territory that is dealing with the consumer face to face. 
So if you have a territory role and a more centralized strategic role, or if you have a chocolate that is more, uh, that has a different uh, consumer motivation behavior than a coffee does have, I think it's very complementary for you to be a better leader in the future. Yep. Okay, like I said, it's pretty much the philosophy of if you're a leader, you should also be in the trenches to know how your decisions affect. Exactly. So you do know, well, if I've been in that seat, I know that my decision now, what are the consequences for that, that roles over there? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you, and you create a broader, a more, more like a stable and, and wise leader. And, um, and at that time, Irene um, was uh, targeting uh, to have both top-line growth and bottom-line growth with the bottom-line growth exceeding the, the top-line growth. Uh, and, uh, and she was succeeding quite well, but the bottom-line growth was not as, uh, as sharp as the top-line growth. Yeah? And, uh, and lots of attention was uh, shifted towards the operational structure of how craft worked uh, uh, across the globe. And uh, functions like procurement or where we put the money and investment or supply chain were, uh, were, high, were high demand of talent. And uh, I was invited at the time, well, would you like to lead our procurement team? Um, in Scandinavia, um, and uh, and I said, well, never did procurement in my life, and procurement <laughs> was uh, mainly necessarily looking how can we shift from paying suppliers towards leveraging partnerships long term. What's Not the what's the difference there? Um, well, uh, you can you can uh, focus on how you procure the goods that comes into your end product. Um, and your end product can be something tangible that you, it's a chocolate bar, let's say a chocolate bar, and uh, you can have the direct materials that go into the chocolate bar, but you can also have, well, uh, what is the infrastructure that you need to have to uh, produce this chocolate bar, uh, and also what is the, um, uh, how you're going to market, what are the, the, the creative agencies that are going to talk to you about that, the, the benefits of the chocolate. So you have to procure and, and partner with several suppliers in order to make your, your business operational. And, uh, and many times uh, we uh, look into those on a very short-term basis. You just negotiate short-term contracts to, to low down your, your costs. When, uh, yeah. when craft was uh, and is still is one of the um, the most advanced um, uh, companies that early on they looked into saying let's make sure that we leverage long-term partnerships uh, with suppliers we do not want to just to squeeze creative agencies for them to, to give us uh, an, an advertising content and we will pay less we want to understand yeah. how can we seg uh, compartmentalize and decouple the process so whatever we can optimize cost we are going to optimize whatever we need to shift and pay more to to develop an innovation of how to do things we're going to do it yeah. so so we, we looked for long-term partnerships and and that for me created like wow it's almost like I'm I'm developing small business processes uh, much more than negotiating I'm, I'm not here negotiating with suppliers I'm here developing the future of their business to enable our future business yeah um, okay 
so so it became it became quite interesting and uh, uh, from from that role i i was invited to uh, to uh, go to to zurich to the headquarters in in zurich uh, of craft foods um, in europe and uh, be responsible for the creative agencies uh, uh, partnerships like that globally was... or just in zurich Europe um, for for all of the categories uh, chocolate uh, coffee and, and uh, chewing gum etc and uh, and uh, this job became quite known in Europe by by uh, the other companies because we found a way to uh, map those creative agencies and see which for for a certain job which of them would be the best one to provide that certain uh, partnership and service for us and, and Nike heard about it and when I was invited by Nike to set up uh, this strategic partnership function. Um, well, I'm confused. What's so unique about it? The, don't other companies, no other company ever did it? No, they, they did it, uh, but it was very much more focused on the negotiation of a certain contract and service rather than, well, let's, all, let's look not only on the on the the price of what we give but can we change processes and can we change the the way we we build the innovation for the future right uh, okay. so so it was a, a different it was more of a long-term way of selecting uh, suppliers I wouldn't choose uh, normally uh, I wouldn't uh, if I would go and do a bidding I would choose just the cheapest with that quality uh, specifications um, in that case yeah. we were not looking for price as the defining uh, as the defining criteria we were looking into well tell me more about it can we do that in less time or can we do that with less waste or can we do that okay with so just a, a sustainable material so we did have a much more um, sophisticated set of uh, of attributes and criterias for us to buy a certain product or service that would be yeah. more long-term looking into what the company wants to have in the future. How did other companies find out about a procurement process is so private usually? Yeah, but uh, well, suppliers do, do talk, right? Uh, so so the, the, the uh, and we participated in, in a couple of congresses. So, so uh, well, uh, headhunters uh, went out and said, well, Nike does need uh, to develop, uh, to set up the function first in Europe uh, and uh, and be able to, Nike had had high interest into, well, develop premium retail. It was in the beginning of Nike having uh, their their shops in Europe and they wanted to, how, how can we have really an amazing premium experience when we come to our shops? or how our stores, how can we do also have this same experience, premium experience when you go into our digital platform? Uh, same thing, uh, how can we uh, have, uh, a, a, how can we uh, manage our creative agencies or how can we manage uh, our, our employee training services? So if you segment the, the amount of spend that a company does have in Europe, how can we rethink the way we do it yeah. in order to create better partnerships do we have to buy things when it's uh when it's 
when when we want to provide some uh, some furniture to employees or are we going to look into more of a, of a circular economy of renting furniture uh, and uh, later donating it to somewhere else so we started to rethink processes and and partnerships um, as well when when I when I moved to Nike and and so just different questions I have there are completely different but the first one which is a bit more relevant to the podcast so how does a startup go about approaching a procurement uh, person to for instance let's say um, let's talk about uh, us because obviously we've experienced it in the last five years now um, so we uh, very hardly focused on machine learning based algorithms to uh, produce uh, video production very fast uh, and in the beginning it was extremely hard for us to break through and explain that you know this isn't just like an agency that makes videos like this is a new technology that's going to disrupt it costs go down it goes much faster but we found that every time the person on the front line would understand procurement would just say no they're not part of our you know established suppliers we're not going to do that and that's when we started building processes of um, sometimes one to two years of negotiation just to get through to procurement and explain, hey, this is something different. Um, but what would your tips be, obviously, having been in the role of procurement? How, how do you look at that? How do you explain maybe sometimes procurement saying or not looking deeper or, yeah, could you shed some light on that? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and you touched on something about, well, how do you break through the procurement barrier that many big companies do have on startups, right? Uh, because yeah. of you, uh, one of the, the procurement trends that was, that I'll tell why I say was, uh, is how can you uh, de de take out the complexity of the amount of suppliers that you do have to be able to really develop strong partnerships with the big, big uh, fewer, bigger, better suppliers, yeah? But then if yeah. you do that, you eliminate like the, the richness and the innovation and the flexibility and the agility of startups that are coming up. So um, I, I believe that there are a couple, couple of things that you can do as a startup to, to really break through. Uh, one of them is that uh, more and more companies that do want to keep on developing themselves, uh, uh, they, the, the, the innovation doesn't come necessarily for owned roles you do need to partner with uh, with your suppliers to drive innovation so uh, that you you may need to talk to to the procurement team and say look I would love to talk about who is responsible for innovation in your company who, who can we do you have any innovation day can uh, can we provide you some um, can can we pro can we come and uh, and uh, organize some talks what are Try to understand what is the benefit for the company, right? So, for example, what we, what always opened up for me, wow, now I'm interested. Yes, I'm, I'm passionate about women in leadership. I would love to hear stories about women-owned companies that uh, that would do something different to provide um, that kind of equality. Or if you would come and say, I do know a different way of uh, of of turning around that this 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 thing would uh, would spend five weeks in your process i can do that in two days that will pick up my attention okay yes yeah, so so there are a couple of things that uh, that if you say uh 
something that will really that you know that that is a, a hurdle for the company you are talking to that is exactly where you do have a commonality they are interested you are interested in partnering and from there you will find a way if it's uh, if it's uh, interesting enough for both of you yeah uh, you find a way to uh, to bring and introduce, to bring and, and do a test pilot. So another thing that, that helped quite a lot, and I always have been a big promoter of, of testing, is that, well, all companies do have a couple of territories that are doing super well, can be your test. Let's test that in, within the Scandinavian market. Let's test yeah. this supplier or this partnership within that category. Um, and and uh, if the pilot does go well, you can you can develop further the partnership. So, um, so I've been I've been quite uh, uh, quite open all the time for uh, for new ideas because uh, it's out of those new ideas and startups that you will get probably the biggest boom of innovation. Yeah. Um, coming coming over. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing the trend nowadays that there's more actual innovation managers without within corporates so i really liked what you said with uh, either approach the procurement team or ask them if there's an innovation uh team uh because that's usually how how we eventually got noticed within the company and then obviously the tools that you just said i think are super practical and then yeah and, and getting getting through the innovation door right Luba, getting through the the environment door getting through the lead time door and now corona is showing right covid is showing us that we do need to to diversify getting through a, a bit more about the the, the risk taking the agility uh, door so th there are ways for you to go in and do not uh, exclude exclude the procurement but it can be the step two of the process if you do not yeah. have attraction on the step one and i say that uh, well being a procure uh, having been in a procurement role uh i i do believe that uh, for me the ideal procurement partner will be the one that will be curious enough to to hear uh to always keep an, an ear open for for the innovation piece yeah, I like that. Um, okay, shifting a little bit back as well, because we went a bit faster. Um, at one point you mentioned, so you got to Sweden. Uh, there are six months in between you and getting that job. That's a big step coming from Brazil, which is Rio is, I think, a bit warmer than Sweden. So the language barrier, the climate, um, and then obviously you didn't have a job yet so how what happened in those six months i think it's also relevant with the times unemployment rates are going up um how did you eventually find a job i can imagine it wasn't super easy or how did it go yeah it's um uh, uh, w when i look back i i i had uh, the in it was quite liberating the move, yeah. And all of the the moves that I did uh, from country to country had kind of a, a liberating aspect co connected to it. Uh, the 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 move to Sweden was very special because I was uh, choosing a new a new a new uh, a, a new home, a country to call home. I'm I'm today a Swedish citizen. Uh, I did uh, put all my effort into learning Swedish, uh, 
And uh, but before I did, I I always had been working and uh, or studying and had been very active all my life. Uh, my my dad and my mom raised me as well. Never depend on 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 someone. Uh, depend by choice, not by need. So I said, well, I need to do something. I cannot just stay here and uh, and do not work. Um, well, while well, my my husband to be uh, is uh, is working out there, and uh, and it's more about. Uh, you, you can do everything in life, but not everything simultaneously. Uh, while I was learning Swedish um, and and setting up a family, I, I I tried at the time to well, can I do which kind of jobs can I have, right? And uh, and the more you look into the the amount of foreigners that were getting as exile, um, and it was not my case, right? But that there were exiled in in Sweden, uh, you did see quite well academically developed people, uh, the high, high academically developed people like engineers and doctors that could not get a job and would end up working as a taxi drivers. Uh, and that was the reality that suddenly I, I was faced, right? Because in Brazil, if you do have um, an university degree, uh, you, you get a job uh, yeah. at your level. Uh, well, it was not necessarily the same when I looked into um, at, at the time, there were lots of people coming from Iraq and from Syria in Sweden, and uh, my Swedish lessons I was taking as a as a social democratic democratic con, uh, uh, country. Uh, they were provided by by the government. So uh, my colleagues in the class they were more exile coming from exile and not necessarily by by marriage having moved there, and yeah. and you could see that they did they could not get the job at the level of education they had or at the level of jobs they had before yeah uh, and and at that time i was thinking well i i don't think this is fair <laughs> and it starts to to burn something inside you right you move from from brazil where social classes difference is huge but you always grow up thinking well this is you can be whatever you want to be and you arrive in Sweden and you see, well, there are people coming here, the government is giving everything, but they necessarily do not, are not able to immediately get to where they, they came from. Um, so more than the temperature difference and the climate difference, uh, it was much more about, well, how society is, uh, is organized. That for me was the biggest clash. Yeah. Uh, that uh, that uh, I usually used to say that in Brazil you have 40, 50 touch points a day. You you uh, you say hi to your neighbor. You say hi to the person selling you the newspaper. You you, you give the money to the person in the and the on the on the on the when you, when the traffic light when you drive. You talk to people a lot, uh, and you have those touch points and connections, right? True true meaning yeah. meaningful connections. Well, well when you when you go to Sweden the social distancing, and it refers a lot to what's happening today with COVID, right? The social distancing and emotional distancing is immediately much, much bigger. You do not have those touch points, right? Uh, it's not that, uh, that fluid, uh, the connection with people. So for me, it was more how society is organized and, uh, and uh, I learned through just leaving there. Uh, and back to, to uh, finding a job would be, that be difficult or not. I, I was uh, thinking, well, in the beginning, let's not think about the end state. Let's see what can I do now to contribute so I will find a job at the level that I would like to have. 
So while I was uh, studying Swedish, I got uh, I volunteered to uh, to a job at the museum that was very close to my house, and uh, and I said, well, I will try to um, to uh, explain this museum and do the tours in Swedish, so I can practice my Swedish, even if I didn't speak Swedish that well. Uh, I forced myself, and I said, well, that 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 three months there helped me a lot to be able to confidently speak on on a corporate environment again, or whatever I would like. Uh, but but I believe that uh, a tip. Uh, you asked uh, how how what helped me to get back and get my confidence back and uh, position myself in the job market. I think uh, I didn't come with just one thought about what I wanted to do. I was open to well, I may work in 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 big corporations. I may I may find found found my own company, or I may um, I may work on non governmental. Um, uh, organization. So I, I do not know necessarily what where, where it is going to be my entry door, uh, but what I, what I know is that I will try to, to develop to be able to, to do the best when I, when I get there. Um, you weren't scared of going into the museum and speaking Swedish just having arrived to Sweden? Oh, no, no, it's, uh, it, it's uh, because actually it, uh, that is the, the, the beauty, right? Of the, the, the tourists that were there, I will probably not meet them every day. <laughs> so, so you are also, you can, you can speak, uh, well, a, a very uh, uh, raw uh, Swedish and practice it. And, and that was how I could also learn from, from the culture uh, there as well. And... Uh, uh, and I was quite lucky that when when I got the, my my first job there, it was uh, it, it was quite a quite a good job. And uh, and I decided from day one, I said, well, I will I will speak Swedish at at work. Um, yeah. I will force myself to speak Swedish at work, right? And uh, and that that gave uh, gave me um, already also a, a better confidence that uh, I'm I'm integrated in, into this society. So, so you think that obviously taking that step to really smoothen out your language and then being open for all kinds of different jobs is eventually what kind of put that energy out to find that job within six months that you eventually found? Yeah, yeah. As long as you are still, you do feel that you are developing and moving forward. Yeah, uh, I, I believe that that gives you the energy. Um, and did you well. send in a lot, a lot of applications out? Did you call a lot of companies, or was it just like? No, I didn't. It was well, the just this one that I said that I contacted, uh, and they called back. <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. Um, so then, uh, the other question I had was: so then you moved to Zurich, um, but at this point you have children, and your husband, I'm assuming, is working in Sweden. So how does that work? Yeah, so um, uh, it's um, I, I, that's where I first faced again. Uh, how how do you manage two careers uh, when uh, when uh, when you're you're a couple, right? And uh, uh, we we discussed, and he by by all means uh, he always said, "Look, I I I give you help. Go, um, let's go there." and uh, we find a way uh, move uh, with the kids. I had a nanny at the time, um, and uh, for I had a nanny for ten years. That's another one that probably we we can talk a bit more about that. Uh, 
uh, and uh, and I moved to to Zurich, uh, and he stayed in our house in Sweden, and he was commuting over the weekends. To... And, and so, how long is the flight there? Oh, it's um, it's a two hours and a half. So it was it was quite tough on him to be to be commuting, uh, and uh, and we just had to build a, a beautiful house in Sweden. So it all came a bit too too fast. Uh, uh, but at the same time, uh, he. He didn't. He didn't challenge at all. He said, "That's what you want, Danielle." I said, "Yes, that's that's what I want. Uh, can we can we accommodate that in our family?" And he said, "Well, we can." Um, I accommodated moving to Sweden when when uh, uh, and, and setting up my life there, so we could accommodate uh, my my move to to Switzerland. Uh, at what? Uh, what we didn't know is that right after Switzerland, I would get the Nike offer and move to Netherlands uh, uh, right yeah. uh, a year and a half afterwards. Um, and and it was in the move to Netherlands that he did uh, take uh, a piece of, he, he did take time out from his job while still employed and, and went to move together with us. So we were all a family under one roof again. Because uh, right so, now you're living in the Netherlands then? I'm living in Netherlands right now, yeah, yeah, and nice. and I'm working in in Berlin, and I work in Germany. Yeah. So I commute nowadays, and the family stays in Netherlands. Yeah, because I read Berlin, so I was like, I didn't know you uh, you lived in the Netherlands. Uh, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So so we we have to cope with quite some logistic uh, challenges, but uh, but but when when in our family, what we decide is that well, let's always look into how can we, what's the best solution for the family, and uh, and we try to to manage that way. So. When when I moved to Switzerland, um, I I didn't like it. <laughs> Let's uh, really and, and, why? And and I'm not talking necessarily about the job. The job was amazing. The company I love Kraft Foods, and uh, I'm forever uh, an ambassador of the Kraft brands and the Kraft corporate culture. I love it. Um, the uh, moving there as a, as a mother as a, on on a high level job. Um, with two small kids, my kids were really, really young at the time. Um, How and old of course, uh, I think that they were f four and five, four and five. And um, and I moved there with the intention of staying long term, so I put them in local school. So they had to move from from the Swedish that they they were uh, in Sweden to to local like a, a Swiss German uh, school and. Um, and in uh, the support that you get from the system and society in in um, in Switzerland is much different than the support that you get in Sweden. Yeah. That you can leave the kids in Sweden the whole day in the kindergarten. Uh, uh, there is much more flexibility at work. That you work from home, or that you you leave early one day, the the father leaves earlier the other day, uh, as long as you deliver your job, right? Um, and yeah. it's in Switzerland is much more rigid the structure and as a single mother or a single parent there I, I found it very very difficult to cope with uh, with all of my roles as a mother as a, as a wife as a, uh, as a responsible for the household and in my job uh, so at the end when uh, when Nike uh, called out I, I was really thrilled to to uh, move to Nike for what Nike represents but also um, 
the, the situation in Switzerland was not sustainable. So I just wanted yeah. to share that because many times you think, well, it's always amazing to move countries and to move to a better job. Uh, it sometimes doesn't work out for the family. Uh, honestly, what you're saying right now is exactly the experience I had with Belgium and then moving to the Netherlands. Um, as we were growing our company um, back then, it just always seemed like Belgium was behind all the innovation. The government uh, taxed the lower startups more than if you were a bigger institution because obviously all the European institutions were in Brussels. And after a while, we were just hitting these ceilings and I just said, that's it. This is just not the way to operate as a government. And even though I'm Belgium born and raised and had this emotional connection to my country, um, we eventually made the decision to move to the Netherlands after a mentor said that when you're running a business, you have to look at a country from a business point of view. And if you know they are your boss and they treat you that way, then maybe they shouldn't be your boss. Um, so I had that experience. It resonates so much with me. Uh, and when I moved to the Netherlands, it was just day and night. Um, the I think within six months, the business doubled. Um, it was such an exponential growth. It was crazy. Um, and we were just nowadays, I think we're hitting 20 to 25 percent growth yearly. Um, so it's just the country has done so much uh, for us. And we are now looking at like the next country to scale. But then for me, loyalty is a big thing. So I always say uh, within the team also, look, we are looking to scale to other countries, but I really want to keep our head office in the Netherlands. Uh, just because of the support system of the government. Because um, we're now looking, for instance, at LA, right? Because uh, we're in the video. Um, we have a lot of companies that we work with in LA as well. So I have very late nights. Uh, but you, I'm very scared of going to uh, the US just because, you know, you hear all the stories about medical insurance and how the government treats you. And I'm just so happy in the Netherlands with all of that. So, it, yeah, we're exploring all of that. But what you're saying about countries very well resonates with me. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just have to, um, to, to repeat what you, what you said. Um, when, when I moved in, the whole family, when we moved as a family to Netherlands, uh, it's, it started to feel right again. Uh, uh, that yeah. You do have a lot of support. It's a much easier place to live. Uh, the, the, the touch points and connections with neighbors, with, uh, with, the, with the community around you, uh, community of support is, is much higher as well. Um, and, um, and that's one of the reasons why after, after a while, after being at Nike and after moving from Nike to Converse and after Converse being uh, promoted to, uh, to be headquartered in Berlin, uh, uh, we decided as a family that, well, the family stays in Netherlands and, and I commute to Berlin. Uh, Isn't that, that a six hour commute? Uh, if, if it's uh, by car, yes, I, I do fly. Uh, sometimes I take the train, um, but uh, uh, door to door, it's more or less six hour commute. Yeah. Isn't that intense? Because I'm assuming you then sleep in Berlin for the week and then for the weekend you come back, right? Yeah, yeah, it was quite intense. I would go on Tuesday, Tuesday morning or, or, or Monday mornings, right? And I get back on, on Thursday evenings. Um, now it's a Corona time. Uh, that is not happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, which, which is great for my family and the kids. Um, but at the same time, uh, it, uh, you do it, uh, but not for too long, uh, I would say. Yeah? Uh, but what I love about being based in the Netherlands, and, and if you have kids, uh, uh, is, uh, well, I do know that they can cycle to school. I do know they can cycle back. Yeah. Uh, I do know that if something happens, if the bike um, uh, is, is broken, uh, someone else is going to help. Uh, yeah, they can cycle to, to football yeah. uh, training. And uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an easier life. So, so you can uh, accommodate uh, life a bit better. But so how does that work with your children now? So do they speak Swedish? Do they speak, well, in Zurich, it's I'm assuming German? Um, or are they now Dutch because they were so young when you were moving? Yeah, so so uh, we we did keep quite a, quite a good consistency on on which languages to speak to them. I I always spoke Portuguese uh, to them, Brazilian Portuguese, with an accent from Rio. So they if they speak, you can see that they are from Rio, and and uh, they would. Uh, we had the rule that uh, you speak back on the language that the person addresses you. So uh, I always spoke to them in Portuguese. They would speak back in Portuguese always. Otherwise, I would not understand. And and yeah. my husband uh, would always speak in Swedish. They would answer back in Swedish. So uh, now now we just have uh, one more language in the mix <laughs> since uh, since Dutch uh, Dutch is there, and uh, we usually have Dutch friends. Uh, or or English because they go to to international school and they speak English. But uh, the the language at the um, at, at the dinner table is uh, Swedish and Portuguese, uh, and with the, the the people around us is uh, or Dutch or English. And how how does it then work between you and your husband? Do you speak English with each other? Yeah. Well, actually, we we divorced um, after a while being in uh, in Netherlands and. Uh, uh, the divorce was for for us. Uh, we usually say that well, we even have a, a divorce ring because uh, it it was quite a natural process, and uh, and we are still family, uh, just with a yeah. different logistics uh, as a family. Uh, he he moved back to Sweden, so he lives in Stockholm. My our kids are with him now since I'm in Brazil, so we yeah. we we create created like these two households family that uh, he's yeah. in Sweden the kids are going there every month and staying with them during holidays um, and uh, and we stay based in Netherlands uh, the other the other times we, we are very close friends so it's a bit so, more stable for the children as well yeah yeah so so um, uh, I, I believe that uh, uh, the, the yeah we 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 are speaking up both both languages uh, at home but so just out of interest so then when when you were speaking, um, very relevant to me, that's why I'm asking, but so you're talking in English, but then with your children, you're talking Portuguese. In Portuguese, yes. And so that's like three languages going through the household. And then obviously now Dutch, so that's four languages going through the household. Is that not messing up the children a little bit? Like how, how does that work? No, it doesn't. And, and everybody asks, but it doesn't. You, you have to experience one day. You come to, when I'm back in Netherlands, you come to have dinner at my place one, one day. So you're going to see. Uh, it doesn't, on the contrary. I, I believe it helps them even to, uh, uh, to learn more languages in the future. Uh, they, they, you just have to keep a very consistent uh, approach to, to how to speak. Uh, 
in you can see that when they started to to get into being teenagers they are now uh, 12 and 14 and uh, yeah. they started to be a bit uh, uh, well embarrassed if I would uh, in front of their friends speak to them in Portuguese yeah they, they really would, uh, but at the same time you just need to keep on doing it uh, they don't have to be embarrassed that I'm uh, that I'm Brazilian. They need to just uh, make sure that they honor our agreement that yes. is to speak Portuguese with each other to keep the language. Uh, and the same way when uh, when the dad speaks in in Swedish and uh, and I believe that we overcame that phase. But uh, it goes in phases, right? When when they are very young, they they like to have a secret language. Now they, when yeah. they become right teenagers, they were a bit embarrassed. They want to conform with what the others are doing yeah and and i believe that that you just have to be consistent through the phases the kids go through as well interesting so so they keep talking portuguese to you and then swedish to to their father um yeah do you also then share the history and everything so do they also feel brazilian or do they feel dutch because Brazil has such a rich history so is it just a language or is it yeah yeah well well we celebrate um, uh, the, the Brazilian uh, traditions and the Swedish traditions and we, we overlay with a bit of the traditions of the country we live so uh, in Brazil so they do capoeira as a sport as well capoeira it's a, it's a Brazilian yeah, a uh, martial arts why not Brazilian jiu-jitsu yeah, yeah. Well, because uh, jiu-jitsu is a bit harder to find uh, in the city I live. Uh, but uh, they they had capoeira, and it's uh, they get a lot of the rhythm. They get a lot of the tradition of respect uh, and yeah. uh, and work and be together in several different ages and so on. Um, they, and uh, they they do uh, celebrate carnival, uh, and and there, there are several things that that they do celebrate and understand how how it is in Brazil. In Brazil, we usually talk a bit louder uh, than in yeah. Sweden, so they, they do know that when, when our Brazilian family is together, people talk on top of the others. That doesn't mean that they don't respect. That's a bit of a cultural <laughs> nuance of, uh, of how, how you interact. Uh, and they celebrate the Swedish uh, traditions, uh, especially uh, when it comes to, to Lucia, comes to Christmas, uh, uh, New Year's Eve, uh, 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 summer, um, midsummer, and uh, and so on, uh, and uh, wow. and also with the Santa class uh, now in in Netherlands uh, as yeah. well. <laughs> but and so, do they feel like there's a clash in nationalities and who they are as people? What if you would ask them who? What do do they feel like? Do they feel like they're Swedish, Dutch, Portuguese? Yeah, so that is uh, that is referring back to when I said that I I grew up in in Rio. I was born and raised in Rio, and I had a very stable childhood. I first time I went abroad was when I was fifteen uh, years old. I always had been very much well. This the the surroundings of my city that is my world. Uh, uh, at the age yeah. fifteen, I went out of this world. Uh, they they grew up knowing that they are from Brazil and Sweden, that they they traveled and lived in 
um, in Sweden, lived in, in Switzerland, lived in Netherlands, uh, and to have that anchor quite strong from Brazil. So um, I, I believe that they, they feel, if you ask them, they feel that they are Swedish and Brazilian, uh, and, uh, uh, and that they, they feel really, truly citizens of the world. Uh, wherever you're going, if you ask, where do you want to live in the future? Yeah. Uh, they, they will answer, uh, Victoria will answer, oh, I would like to go to Africa. My son will say, every time they say something different, and that doesn't mean that, uh, that they don't like where they come from. It's more about, well, that is how they, they got wired yeah. as they grew up. So right? they're really global citizens in that sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they do not necessarily have uh, the, 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 the barriers, because for me, it's like, well, you, I, I, I grew up in that place. Probably I would like to get and, and grew old, grow old in that place. But uh, they do not have that to get back to, to where they, they were born necessarily. That's so interesting. Anyway, so now we referred back to the transition from Zurich to the Netherlands. That's where we stopped. So uh, I've been doing these podcasts, um, I think we did almost 10 I think at this point but um, every single time we're um, somewhere coming in the story to I was headhunted that's that's like the common thread coming uh, when people you know are in the positions that you are Um, and I'm always fascinated about how these people find you Um, especially before the LinkedIn era it wasn't that easy so what is your theory like what is it that you do that makes a headhunter call you or message you where do they come from and how come not everybody's getting headhunted yeah so i'm i'm a believer that whatever you do do that very well now right to bring your a game to give give your energy in doing uh, great where you are uh, because if you just search for headhunters saying that what you can do uh, you will not be searched right because uh, uh, actually the, if you do well what you do now if you partner well with people uh, uh, you someone is going to to give your name uh, if they are asked to to a headhunter the headhunter will come to you so um, if you if you uh, want to stay in the field you are, do very well what you do now, uh, that, that the, the word will, will go across and, uh, and eventually you're going to be called uh, by a headhunter and you may be open to, to hear what they have to say or not. In this case, I was, I was quite open and um, I know that uh, in this case, uh, Lovite was uh, a previous uh, uh, boss of mine uh, that had just left Kraft Foods uh, uh, oh. gave my name as uh, as uh, someone that uh, that he really liked to work with, uh, and uh, and the the Kraft does have a reputation of uh, building amazing uh, uh, leaders out of that field, right? Out of the procurement and sourcing. So, so yeah. it was two things. I was at a company that did have a reputation of really building amazing skill set and leaders in that field, plus uh, doing a great job and leaving uh, the people around me knowing uh, that they can vote for me uh, if a headhunter does. Do you have someone to indicate? So, in yeah. that case, is that so? 
But you may ask, well, and if you want to change industries, um, I, I did change industries uh, quite a lot, or if you want to change uh, your role, your function, um, and uh, or if you're a startup, you would like to change fields, uh, whatever, right? But uh, yeah. but if you if you would like to change your uh, your function, I I would say that you then probably need uh, to start participating on on events, on congress, or networks uh, in the function you want to be, and see how can you uh, really uh, uh, make relevant to that function the work you do. Um, and, and probably be an active person within that network uh, and, and uh, start keep on doing the good work in that field then it's an easier stepping stone to move and change up uh, change in function so one example is that uh, uh, if uh, if you if I'm working in procurement let's uh, let's hypothetically say yeah. and I would like to work within the digital space in the future digital business I can probably uh, take a segment of my procurement work and be an expert within the digital piece and uh, and profile myself as a digital expert, then I can easily bridge that headhunters are going to see me as a digital expert within my business and, and sub-segment. Uh, and I can take yeah. a, a digital role in the future. So it's... Uh, uh, if, if we squeeze it all, be good in what you do nowadays, uh, keep an eye out there um, and, uh, and, uh, and be, be clear about what you're interested in or not, um, that, that you, you can have a good headhunting uh, season. Yeah. So the headhunter then finds you um, in Zurich and then they pretty much just tell you, hey, we have a position for you in the Netherlands and you just accept it and moved or how does that process go? No, they well, they I did go through a screening, uh, and um, and after that screening, I went through uh, the whole interview process within the Nike world, which is a pretty lengthy one. I had more than ten interviews. Uh, How long and, is that uh, process? So for for our recruitment, when we recruit people full time, uh, we have a three week process um, with multiple stages. How long is like a process with a Nike or something? Uh, it can take three, four months, or or even oh, wow. even longer, right? So so it has been quite quite a long process, uh, and uh, and you go you go through the through the process, right? So you are part of one candidate as uh, as any other candidate would be, um, and uh, and uh, that's uh, that's uh, a bit it. What I what I believe the headhunter brings uh, extra is because the. Um, uh, in this case, it was a boutique headhunting company, uh, a very small one. Another example of uh, um, uh, of Nike working with uh, with a startup. They are a very small boutique company, but they have a niche uh, that they they work with uh, with a couple uh, with certain profiles of leaders, and they are specialized in that. So instead of Nike owning capabilities to do that search they they partner with this company this startup to to be able to to help to find those leaders that are very well connected uh, uh, in Europe and, and abroad uh, so so uh, what the headhunting company does also help you is to how can they give me uh, enough uh, insights about the company I'm going to go in order for me to be to, to hit the floor running so they, they help not only the company, but they help the, the candidate, the people, the person they approach, saying that, well, in this company, that's the culture. 
make sure that that's the, a bit of, uh, of the future you're going to look at when you arrive. Cool. So th that's one of the most detailed answers on that. So I really appreciate that. It really helps. So then um, Nike approaches you. What's the position they approach you for? And then how were the first months of uh, getting on board and moving? How did that look like? So I was, uh, the, the, the position was uh, uh, the head of procurement for, for Europe, EMEA, and, uh, and I would be re re reporting into the global uh, head of procurement. Um, and uh, the, the procurement, again, uh, in the sense uh, we are looking into how we're going to maximize strategic partnerships uh, with, uh, with suppliers. Uh, and and the, 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 that position was not necessarily uh, set up uh, in Europe and it was quite of a hot seat because five persons had been in that role before and could not set up uh, the wow. procurement processes correctly in, in Europe and uh, and my question during the interview process was well what are the three things that I do need to accomplish uh, in the first three months to be able to not be the sixth one to to move away yeah I just wanted to know that uh, yeah and and I got it pretty clear. Well, I needed to make sure that whatever strategy I would develop would be enabling the company strategies and the business strategies in the region. Um, I did have to bring people along and partner and, and uh, make sure that uh, I would align uh, those strategies. I would need to uh, bring uh, also uh, short-term impact and long-term value. So I, I would always look into whatever actions I would have in future through those three angles. Is it enabling strategy? Do I keep leadership and people informed and, and, uh, and, uh, and do I drive them through with me in the process? And the third one, do I bring impact now and, and long-term? Um, the good thing is that those three targets I had, they talk quite well with my strengths, right? As an engineer, I usually say that I make the complex simple. So, uh, I could find ways to to bring strategy to which are the plans and plans into impact and results and talk exactly step by step about what that would be. Uh, I I love to develop meaningful relationships with people, so uh, maintaining people informed and bringing them along and and finding win-win situations up it's something that I that I I love doing and I do well. So. Uh, I've anchored on those two uh, and I did set up a new team and made sure that, well, my boss is helping me to bring the best people in the industries and uh, and my boss has my back uh, if I do need to, to call it out, yeah, uh, for some support and remove roadblocks and so on. So, um, so we, we did, we did quite, a, quite a great job and, and one example here uh, is that uh, I went back to the same headhunter that brought me to the company and I said, I want to hire my future bosses to be part of my team. And, uh, and uh, we... How does that work? What, what do you mean with your future? As in people that are so great that they would eventually... They will be my bosses, right? In five years, 10 years time. And, uh, and uh, at the time they said, well, but we do not hire that level people reporting to you we hire the level that you are i said well let's do let's try 
uh, I would love to get and hire to take care of my the, the retail business, someone that is the best in retail, regardless of the industry in the world, or um, and uh, it someone that is the best that not necessarily has been the best. So I do not necessarily need to know what they did. I need to know what they think and they're going to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, someone from from um, uh, agencies, creative agencies, who is a person that is uh, the best in their field or someone that is the best in consulting um, uh, partnerships. So uh, the, the this company that brought me in, uh, we, we selected uh, uh, four persons. And today they are uh, at the same level that I am within the Nike world. So how was it like finding them, onboarding them, convincing them to be in, I guess what the boutique agency said, a lower position than what they normally are? How, how is that process? Yeah, but we didn't bring them to a lower position that they were. Um, so, for example, for to take care of our retail business, we, we brought someone from Burberry that was doing an amazing premium uh, job at, uh, at retail at the time and uh, an ability to seamless... Uh, uh, deal with the offline and online world uh, quite well um, and Nike needed a lot of digital experience in the area so we we brought this person from Burberry um, that uh, that was had the raw material the potential the mindset to be my boss in the future but uh, was still quite junior uh, and and quite uh, quite agile uh, and not really married to rigid processes but with a great experience in premium retail uh, so when this person came in, um, it was a he. He would immediately, uh, he could be immersed and into my my the, the retail leaders at Nike uh, without people looking at him. Uh, almost, I usually say the, the 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 supporting function syndrome. On the opposite, he was almost the authority within how premium retail should be. So people would yeah. turn to him and take out that barrier about well. Uh, do we have to put procurement in the process like it is a hurdle? Well, uh, we need to go through him because the guy knows his stuff, yeah, and he's facilitating. Yeah. So it's changing the, the perception of the role. Uh, the same thing happened with, uh, with the person we brought to take care of creative agencies and marketing uh, agencies in general. It's about, about she had uh, experience in working with several, within several agencies, so she knew which parts of the processes could be optimized on the briefing uh, stage or how could we probably decouple a thing, some things that we could uh, already um, uh, execute and produce uh, uh, that, that were a bit faster and, and so on. So, uh, so, so when we brought those persons, they were immediately absorbed. They didn't have an organ rejection kind of reaction from the company uh, when, yeah. when they arrived. And so what's it like having that type of people in your team? It, I can imagine it can be intimidating or it's hard to get different types of personalities that are that strong aligned. How, how did you handle that? Well, uh, I, I, I believe that, uh, that that is why it's so important to have, uh, uh, in this case, to have a great headhunter because this company, what they helped is that do they have the, the behavior and mindset that will enable them to work on a team? Uh, 
So do you know when someone uh, is humble, but at the same time does have the swagger that they know their stuff super well, but is still humble to partner and to listen to what you have to say? So I think that all of, all of them, all of us do have a bit of that. Is that, well, I know, I know I'm good, but well, t tell me, you are willing to listen because you can even get better because they're not good in everything. They're much better in that space that you don't know anything about. So I think that there was always this kind of underlying curiosity, underlying uh, being humble or being, uh, being willing to get better. So th this partnership was quite magic. And uh, uh, an example about why, why this, uh, this became uh, super interesting is that uh, uh, two years uh, leading the function, we could really bring uh, uh, amazing uh, savings to, to go on bottom lines. But before all, we could bring uh, improvement in the process of, of how procurement was ingrained into the strategy of the company. Um, and uh, the, the, there is... A, um, uh, an organization that is called Global Procurement Leaders, and uh, we we got as a team an award for the best global procurement team um, uh, in that year. It was 2015, uh, so so we went to London to receive this uh, this award uh, in 2015. Wow, had no idea. That's so cool. But um, so okay, so the team gets onboarded. Um, what happens next in uh, Nike? Um... So, so well, we we did uh, we did uh, put the procurement into into the, the, the stage. So that was not which was great. Um, I uh, and I always uh, wanted when I joined uh, Nike. I said, well, I I'm a business person and I love to be in procurement. What I would love to what I want to know is that. Uh, uh, can I get back to own the PNL and be in the business again if I join Nike, right? Because if I get in through the procurement uh, 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 drawer, doesn't mean that I'm, I'm going to stay in procurement forever. I would love to, uh, as I develop, to to go into owning the business again. And uh, and my my manager supported and and my set of uh, of uh, of sponsors did support my career development in that space. So. Uh, I got uh, my general manager job at uh, at Converse, and I was responsible at the time to uh, to integrate um, uh, Scandinavia uh, Benelux with uh, with Scandinavia and to transition Scandinavia market back uh, to uh, to Converse ownership. Uh, it was a distributor that was taking care of the brand in Scandinavia. Oh, okay. So uh, so I had to to take back the business from a distributor model to an owned model again and to merge both and uh, later on uh when I was uh, assigned AGS uh Austria Germany Switzerland I had to to integrate the three business in one headquartered out of uh, out of uh, Germany. And um and 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 with that uh, I I regained back the 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 ability to own a PNL, uh, to be able to be responsible for all lines of the PNL, to the costs of my of my team and my operational uh, business, uh, to uh, the the revenue that that I'm uh, providing to the company, to the EBIT that I'm giving back to the company, and to the health of my business in general. So so that is something that I'm very thankful for for the Nike. Uh, uh, a cooperation for for enabling that someone that comes in through uh, a supporting function to move into 
up uh, to becoming a general manager of of uh, of a brand um, on a territory. Because that was then your kind of first time really becoming general manager of pretty much the whole company. How how was that transition? Wasn't it scary or something? Uh, not uh, well. Uh, I usually love to think that if it if you do not feel something in your stomach is because it's not stretching you enough right so you have to feel something but at the sure. same time you have to feel that you can do it right so um i i do believe that the the procurement um, uh, world you do need to be quite uh, quite independent into managing short-term long-term profits and also financial benefits uh, you do need to know a strategy quite well um, and and I did so many functions before, so it's more about well now it's uh, it's just owning the PNL instead of advising on PNL. Uh, okay. That is the response, the the, the difference. But uh, all in all, uh, it's uh, it's not rocket science, right? Uh, you just need to make sure that you do understand uh, what are the roles of all functions and orchestrate it well to take the best out of. Uh, out of each of uh, of the roles and so that's the position you have right now yeah so that's the position i have right now and i'm i'm already uh in that role uh, well i had three roles uh, around being a general manager first uh, benelux then the northern europe that is benelux scandinavia and now benelux scandinavia and and uh austria germany switzerland so growing in in um, the the territory and responsibility and revenue um, and um, uh, and well, five years. It's uh, it's a year that I start to get uh, ants on my pants <laughs> to to see what is going to be the new the new development and what I'm going to do next after after this role. Are you looking at a more global position afterwards? Maybe would that like would that be even interesting to you? Yeah. So um, when. Um, when, when I moved away from Sweden, uh, I was quite uh, quite impressed after moving from Switzerland Sweden to Switzerland of uh, how what how how difficult it was for women to go up in their leadership uh, position uh, with uh, with the, the, all of the life happening around. Yeah. So so uh, when I joined Nike, I. I founded uh, uh, in in EMEA in at EHQ in our European headquarters uh, the Women Network uh, to to be able to um, to provide uh, not only coaching but uh, exposure and training to to women. So we are going to help uh, women to grow to to higher levels of the organization. Is that right? in so had... only internally or also for external suppliers and stuff like that? Yeah, the, the, in this case, it's only internal, right? So we, we did uh, set up, I'm a co-chairing the Women Network, and uh, we do have more than, than 2,000 members in the network, and, and we provide uh, um, not only events, ability to network, but ability to train and to share, and we shed the light on, on, on demystifying what a career path can be for women, so we, we enable women to take a bit more risks. And, and not only towards women, right? Uh, bringing men along to, to support as ambassadors and, and enablers of, uh, of equality. Um, and so I've been always very active into, into the women in leadership uh, uh, part of, of the business. So um, if um, uh, last year, 
I, I started to already feel I need to do something else because I'm doing that for quite a while as a general manager. Uh, so so I, I looked into a couple of external trainings uh, around uh, uh, can I, can I uh, pay back what I know and what I've learned in corporate world, having worked in three big corporations and in, um, in very different uh, geographies, uh, in three different industries, and being active within the women uh, world, can I, can I pay it back uh, and, uh, and help uh, the, the women voice in, in organizations? And uh, I, I got selected for a training that is called W50, uh, that is sponsored by Banco Santander, uh, Santander Bank, uh, that, uh, that helps and gives training for women to be part of, uh, of, uh, of company boards. Uh, uh, and, and the training was in UCLA Anderson, so I was super happy to be selected, one of the 50 women that they select. You cannot pay yourself or buy yourself into the training, you need to be selected. And, uh, and after I went to that training, I, I really... Uh, started to think, well, I probably do not want to have something bigger or global role, back to your question. I, I would love to position myself on my next, not my next move, but my next seven years. I, I would love to do something with a bit more purpose than, and than just launching uh, the new collection of the season. Yeah. So, so right now, as you ask, do I want something bigger? Not necessarily bigger. I would love something that is uh, really meaningful, really on purpose. Uh, if you see what on COVID purpose. is happening, it's uh, more about how can we make our world better? Uh, can, I, can I use whatever I know, whatever I, I, I can do to, to help uh, uh, a better world? So I'm still, I'm still in the process of, of finding this out, yeah. uh, which, which is an interesting phase to be. I really like where we um, are now in the conversation because uh, one of our last um, events, our last event got canceled due to Corona at Mobile World Congress. But uh, the one before that was our first women in tech uh, uh, event. So uh, we became at that point one of the largest in the region. Um, and we decided with great power comes great responsibility. So let's do this. Um, there's a lot of talk about the glass ceiling. Let's just have only women on stage. So uh, one of my um, my right hand, actually, um, our innovation manager, she was the host. Uh, only women on stage, uh, only the startups that were pitching, all women founders, um, which was a first for all of them, because normally there's some guy somewhere. Apparently, I heard later. Um, but I found out very interesting things um, in the process and I would like to kind of hear from your side um, what, you're, what you think is the glass ceiling is. Do you think the glass ceiling is something, um, yeah, how is it orchestrated? Is it something that is happening a lot internally um, that, that the women are saying to themselves and not letting themselves do things? Or is it most definitely some women that are really trying their best and men or social norms are holding them back because um, yeah I'm very interested in hearing your answer on that yeah well I, I don't believe Luva that we do have one right answer to, to that question right uh, because it's uh, it's all contextualized what I what I what I know is that uh, if you do not have in big corporations or in in 
uh, in certain societies, if you do not have an intention to uh, integrate women, the higher they go into uh, their rankings of leadership. Uh, and, and if you do not have role models here for more women to feel inspired to go, um, and, you, and I'm talking about women, but it can be any diversity, right? It can be uh, any other gender diversity. It can be um, uh, people of color. It can be even, even an accent. I, I'm a Brazilian. I have a different way of, of expressing myself. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cultural uh, nuance of diversity as well, right? Uh, if you do not have role models, if you do not have an intention uh, committed by by the by senior leadership to to drive change and equality, uh, people tend to choose what you know. Yeah. So uh, so if you if you know um, uh, someone uh, that uh, if you know someone that did an amazing work. Uh, uh, in the past, you are going to put your bets and, and bring in these people and promoting these people. So you do need to have very clear KPIs around, uh, well, how can we help the, the recruiting system to be able to drive this diversity? Uh, how can we help the, 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 uh, the, the, the performance metrics so you enable uh, certain uh, behaviors to be seen as sign of leadership and power, right? Uh, uh, how can you uh, help to promote more women on stage? As you said, many times you just see the guys there talking and giving a word or, uh, or investor relators, you do see that the guys are talking. How can we enable a bit more of a, of a feminine voice uh, coming up? Um, and uh, so there are a couple of things and actions that you, small actions that you can take. Uh, that that starts to take out the heaviness about uh, having to talk about it. Yeah. So what what I uh, and there are a lot that you can also facilitate and take ownership of doing. And and I get back here to the nanny, right? Uh, uh, I I could have said, well, I do not want to leave my babies with the nanny, or I don't want to take this extra assignment when my daughter is a one-year-old and, uh, and I will need to stay two weeks a month uh, abroad. Uh, you need to manage also your guilt. It's much more guilt management than time management. Is that am I, What is going to give me more energy? Is it to be uh, advancing my career right now and still being a great mother? Uh, or do I really need to stop my career for a while and dedicate a bit more to, to those new human beings? So uh, you need to know what feels right for you. Um, as a father, the same thing. And I do not say that only as a mother, right? Yeah. What, what we can see is if, if we observe, uh, usually women take that as a heavier burden on themselves, parenting. Uh, or, or, or why do you, why do you think women take it like more than men? Obviously, many reasons. But obviously, I want to hear from you. Uh, I I do believe that is much more society related because I didn't feel that burden when I was living in Sweden. <laughs> you do not have oh, the expectations really? from society that is the women taking the burden burden right. Uh, well, you do have um, in, in other in other societies you live with. So you really feel that pressure if you compare it Sweden to compare to uh, Switzerland. Yeah, huge, huge difference. And wow. and also uh, that's where also the corporate world can help a lot, right? Uh, because if you do have uh, 
uh, ability to work from home or if you can be more flexible um, and if uh, my work requests requires that I travel a lot can I work from home Mondays and Fridays so I can be closer to my family and be have more face time with them etc so so I believe that um, I, I never asked for permission to carve out my time and work and make it work for my family because I could never compartmentalize my life it's not that I'm a I'm a work person here and a, and a mom here. I, I, I like to take out those and blur the lines between uh, work and, and personal life. Um, and, uh, and sharing my experience during with, with the network at, at, at Nike that I co-chair with the younger women that are still thinking, do I have kids now or later? Do I get this promotion now or, or, or do I have a family it's that well for me it worked to have a nanny uh, find something that works for you but live in peace with that do not blame the company nor the society for the choice you make as yeah. well right so so find a way to to be in peace with the decision you make uh, and, and move on uh, being at home will not take off your confidence that you you can later uh, start up from from where you left uh, just to make sure that uh, probably you're not going to ascend all the time if you choose to stay at home you will need to yeah. have more of a labyrinth career path uh, but that's okay that's also okay so, yeah? so it's very much guilt management which you're explaining so that nanny part um, I missed that in the beginning I was super interested um, how many hours what are like did the nanny move with you to switzerland and the netherlands how did you find the nanny can you tell us more about the nanny i'm very interested yeah so she was with me for 10 years actually so so she and uh, and in, in brazil uh you do have uh, quite nannies a lot so uh her mother worked uh, in my sister's house already and uh, so so we did an au pair uh, agreement so she would stay nine months with me uh, in sweden how old uh, was the nanny back then she, she was 19 when she when she went first uh, to to be with me so she was uh, nine months with me then three months back uh, to renew her visa then nine months with me three months back so she did that for nine years what did you years. do in those three months then uh, it was usually holidays uh, for the kids, so we oh, would okay. find a way to to bring the kids back to or my parents or the parents of uh, of Daniel. So we we always managed. Uh, uh, it it takes a village to parenting, right? So <laughs> make sure that you tap into your 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 friends and uh, and organize that. Well, if they can take care of uh, of the kids this week, and you find you find ways. Uh, you just yeah. have to to intentionally be with your mindset that well we will sort it out together instead of saying well i cannot commit to this role because i have the kids because then then you anchor your mindset uh, uh, so so then i was very lucky that my that daniel my, my ex-husband uh, had always been uh, quite uh, much about well we'll find a solution um, let's make sure that uh, that we live the life we want to live so so 10 years she would do this nine months three months yeah can i ask why she did that <laughs> especially different countries isn't that so intense for her 
Well, actually, she, she quite liked it um, because she could uh, learn different cultures. She was very close to my family, very close to my kids. My kids became uh, her kids and she became almost my, my elderly daughter, right? My kid. Yeah. Uh, and at the end, my kids were almost also embarrassed of having an nanny because they were already quite old. And I would say she's my nanny now. <laughs> uh, but... Um, but she she uh, she learned a language, so she learned English while she was with us. She didn't have English before, so she could also save some money to uh, to bring back to to her family uh, when uh, when she got back uh, full time now here in in Brazil. Uh, clear, and so that means that she just for the finances part for me to understand is that very expensive or. Uh, what can you say the numbers how much does it cost or because obviously people are thinking nannies must be like not cheap and how many hours are they donating because that do, do they have an like evening life can they go out how does that work so um it's it's expensive uh but it, it doesn't break the bank Right. So when you think about, well, how much money am I willing to uh, if I take a bigger job, probably the difference in salary of a bigger job, I can fully dedicate this difference in salary to to a nanny. It's more about I didn't necessarily make much money while during the time that I had the nanny it's, uh, because of the money that I would get extra. Uh, that kept me me growing in my jobs, uh, uh, they will be dedicated to uh, traveling the nanny Brazil back, to paying yeah. the nanny and all of that. So um, it's expensive, yes it is, but at the same time, does it does it pay off if you're two persons working, uh, two persons with career and, uh, and you want to have the best uh, quality time with your kids the moment you are home? Uh, because the nanny also helps uh, to uh, uh, to organize the kids' bedrooms, they help to wash the kids' clothes, to keep things organized at home, to cook food for them. So, so uh, we had more quality time with the kids when we would arrive home, which uh, which is a great thing to uh, to take off the the guilt and uh, and really yeah. spend a great time with the family. Um, now, well, the, the amount of time they dedicate to the family it differs quite. Uh, quite a lot so we, we always had an upfront agreement with her and if she needed a bit more time uh, we would have it's it we we always wanted her to be with the kids when we were not there every time we were there well she could do whatever she wanted uh, uh, go out on an evening with uh, with her friends uh, weekends uh, would be uh, fully for for herself uh, even if she didn't have whatever to do she would uh, be be by herself right so we didn't want to to have someone to be the a new parent for the kids. Uh, it was more about well, be be as a as a support for our family. And but when we are yeah. here, we assume back the roles of being father and mother. Ah, uh, clear. So uh, it's only for those empty hours. Yes, exactly, and uh, and help uh, with uh, with doing things uh, that while kids are in school, cook cook their their dinner and uh, and organize that their their backpacks are 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 set that they sit down during the study hours and so on and yeah. those small things they help you so much. Never underestimate it. It's like micro actions that you can take that will 
uh, will add so much to, to your own energy level because if you do not have that energy level up, it's, it's quite hard to cope with a, with a, a corporate life or with a, your own business and, uh, and also with the family life. So, so that means that technically what you're explaining right now is just the nanny's taking over all the mundane tasks of parenting, but you were actually still the parent spending the quality time making sure memories were made and stuff like that. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. So, so that is, um, and, and she would also take a, take a role within, uh, within being the authority figure when we were not there, right? So that is also important that the kids do respect that if someone says, well, you do not do that because it can be imposed danger to the kid that they respect this authority figure uh, as well. And, uh, and we, we fully trusted uh, her, we fully trust her. Well, one example is that right now I'm in Brazil because my dad is sick, uh, not sick, he had a, a, a stroke. And, uh, and uh, we, we are talking to, to my nanny, to, to the person that has been with me for 10 years, to, she, to see if she can also give support now to my father uh, if she's willing to do that, because he will need someone to be uh, uh, close Available. to him uh, on his recovery. So, so it's more about well, uh, it's a person that is very close to us. Uh, we we do love her, um, and uh, regardless if it's taking care of a kid, uh, she she's a caretaker. She can also take care of uh, of someone recovering as well. Okay, last question on nanny. Obviously, we don't have to talk the whole time about nannies, but I, just last question for me. Um, the recruitment of the nanny, how is it just, you know, people or do you have to look out for something? Yeah, so uh, we we did. It's great that you asked that uh, because uh, there, there are tricks here and there. Uh, uh, we did we did try with the two two au pair agencies before we we found uh, our our au pair, our nanny. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, Somehow, uh, even if we did have a, a remote interview with the, with the recruitment of the au pairs, both that we recruited through the agencies did not work that well. Um, because uh, actually, uh, there they were very different, uh, different uh, interests. You need to see if someone really uh, glues with, uh, with how you operate as a family, right? So, um, and... Uh, what what uh, the advice that I can give is that do not lose the faith of the benefit of what an au pair can bring if the first one or the second one doesn't work. Uh, keep on keep on working and finding the right uh, partner uh, because when you find the right partner, is uh, it's a really uh, an amazing help uh, to your family life. So uh, only the third one uh, worked well. Uh, and uh, and uh, I my mindset when I went through the first that didn't work I said well probably we shouldn't have an any I should rethink my job and and I'm happy that we didn't we said well let's try once more let's try once more great yeah I'm not gonna go too deep into the nanny thing we already went quite uh, deep and it helps a lot so uh, shifting back to um, the women initiative you did with a Nike um, do you think because not a lot of companies have something like that. Uh, is it something you initiated or was it something you did together uh, with someone? Um, why do you think you had to do it? Why not just 
focus on yourself or something like that? Yeah, so um, uh, Nike uh, did have for quite a while um, a women network globally in Portland uh, at, uh, at the, the global headquarters, but nothing in, uh, in Netherlands or in Europe in general, right? And uh, when, um, when I joined, it was, well, coming from Sweden, uh, then within Sweden to Switzerland, but then I was still with Kraft Foods and uh, the, um, the food industry, or especially at Kraft, uh, uh, you do have quite of a diverse leadership uh, and diversity at all levels, right? Gender diversity, etc. And when you move into the sports industry or into the retail industry, and uh, when I looked up at, uh, at Nike uh, executive team and uh, the Nike European leadership, uh, you just see guys. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I came in willing to, well, I know that I would like to grow, etc., but I do not see people like me there. So you start to second guess, right? Will, will I? Will I? be there once or, yeah. or not <laughs> uh, and nobody can give you that answer um, and uh, instead of just waiting for someone to give an answer uh, the, the same people that were uh, on levels lower than than myself they would also be looking at my level and the level up and do not see much representation so so the idea to start in Europe was more about well there, there were one uh, one other uh, uh, colleague of mine that uh, that also was interested, we said, well, let's start a network and organize events that we're going to discuss exactly that. Well, um, returning from, uh, from, uh, from maternity leave or, um, or how, to, how to tackle if you're excluded from a conversation. So small things that we started to organize and network and, and, and uh, uh, or uh, stage presence because we could see that uh, um, the, the, that uh, uh, women, when they went to stage, they would not take uh, uh, take their their voice to be heard. So we we organized a couple of events where we would uh, give uh, TED uh, talk like TED training uh, to women, so they would be have a better stage presence. So we we worked a lot on on personal branding, on on having a voice, developing a voice, and and making sure that. Uh, instead of trying to change the corporate culture, uh, how can we ourselves take ownership of uh, conquering yeah. that presence yeah. and, and, uh, and own, own it before someone tells it's yours, you see? I like that, taking ownership. Do you have any stories that you can share of women that changed going through the process? Oh, uh, we, do, we do have... Um, uh, I, I believe we have lots of stories, especially that, uh, that, that what, what the network de did and does that I believe it's super powerful is that uh, you do connect uh, uh, you, you do connect people with the same uh, with the same topic in mind, right with the, with a certain theme. So uh, I, I do receive daily uh, emails or, or phone calls from other women that are going through a situation that they heard me talking on on one event and say, look, I'm just about to apply for that role. And uh, th this is the panel that interviewing me. Do you have any advice of how can I make sure that 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 will cause a, a, a great impression or uh, someone uh, uh, is changing departments and uh, in that new department, they're just guys. How what is the the the, 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 the behavior asked or 
So it's uh, it helps a lot into make sure that you establish the connection a bit more organically. So so you do have someone to turn to if you need advice or mentorship or coaching. Uh, other thing that helps a lot, Luba, is that uh, uh, how can how can I have a voice for them uh, if needed, right? So I participate on talent planning sessions. How can uh, I, uh, if someone says, well, this person cannot because they, they are just returning from maternity leave, I do have a strong voice saying that, and, and what's wrong with that? So I do own yeah. also to, uh, to challenge beliefs that are quite ingrained. People don't do that with a bad intention. It's more about let's make sure that we, we challenge when those beliefs yeah. are coming up. So people say, well, nothing wrong with that. And then, then things go wrong, right? So taking, taking an active role uh, right now that has helped a lot. And how does Nike like think about the, the, the network that you created and the events? Do they support you? Do they give you extra funds? How, yeah, how did they support you in that? Yeah, so, so in the beginning, the fund was the biggest challenge. <laughs> And, uh, and right now, uh, we, we are fully funded uh, by, by Nike. Uh, we, we did not necessarily need to ask favors. In the beginning, we would uh, ask guests as a favor. Can you come and talk? Nowadays, we can pay our guests when they come and give a training or they come as a guest speaker. Uh, what I, I love and my co-chair also loves is that uh, we, we love to bring people from different industries and outside in, not to be too much uh, poison in one one cultural environment so you can give examples of what what could it be what if yeah. uh, we would do a bit like that uh, we we do have uh, full commitment from talent uh, development team as well that uh, that they use our members um, uh, as uh, as focus groups many times that they need to develop a new training so they they go first towards our members and and ask the members to have a strong voice uh, and so on. So uh, I do believe that there is a huge uh, benefit of complementary actions around what officially the, the HR corporate strategy can do uh, and what we can uh, uh, organically say that's what we would love to have. Yeah. Um, if the company cannot give, we do it ourselves. Yeah. But uh, uh, there is a res mutual respect for, for how to, to keep... Uh, a healthy friction <laughs> that it, I love to It have. sounds almost like you are an entrepreneur who created something and you are asking for a subsidy from the government and whether the government gives it or not, it doesn't matter, it's going to happen. Yes, exactly, exactly, because there is an appetite for that service. Yes, so we cannot yeah. deny it. Yes, so uh, just uh, if whatever the, the, the government in that case would like to do it or not or subsidize or not, we will we will do it um, because there is an appetite for that kind of service and uh, uh, and I love to see to see how how the network gets uh, more and more strength right now especially after all of the, the personal branding activities and seminars and webinars we did uh, all of the um, all of the, the the general training on on taking out uh, uh, biased behavior. So so it's uh, it's been quite a, quite a positive energy. Uh, are you to me. are you looking to actually create that content and put it into like an education portal or something internally or how where does the content go? 
Yeah, well, actually, we do we do uh, share with the with the network uh, whatever it's a, it's a webinar that we pay or invite and uh, and we share and we have an archive with all of that content. Uh, I didn't think about putting that in, on a training or something, but uh, but the, the the HR team does have access to it, uh, and uh, and I per, I myself I also participate on external networks uh, that uh, promote uh, women leadership. So. Many times I'm invited to also. Can you talk about that subject? And and that's where I I can share quite a lot of some some tangible uh, examples of what we did that worked. If you want, we can talk after the podcast. I can explain how we set up some things uh, for some. Uh, ah, that would be great. That would be great. Because yeah. it helps if it, there's more of a digital thing. We noticed that. Um, so when we were doing our events, like maybe the maximum went to like a thousand people. But then, you know, let's say this podcast, it goes way more, um, way bigger reach. People in the U.S. listen to it. Um, and it's just also nice to grab back to the content. So I, I remember when we first started the events, it was a very high focus on actually, you know, digitizing all the content, making sure everything was recorded from every angle. Uh, but we can discuss about that later. Not relevant right now. Yeah, let's let's right do now. that because uh, that that would be actually a, a great outcome also of uh, of the talk. I uh, we are almost last question for this one. Uh, but as general manager um, of Converse, or like within Nike, one of the general managers, I can assume, um, was it then easier for you to take the initiative to do this, or like? put push behind this make it as big as it is or do you think it didn't matter which position you had it would have been pushed through yeah well actually i started it when i was in the procurement role at nike and um, and uh, the other person that is my co-chair uh, also had had the same level position that i had at the time um we we were already one of the few women in uh, leaders at that level and uh, we did have already a very good uh, credibility with the top leadership yeah. of, of uh, europe right so when we said we do need your support to set up this network can can we have your commitment and uh, um, and when we anchor that we could uh, we could start executing uh, regardless of having that anchored or not, we would start to do something. We just needed to understand what is the scale and how much can we do. Uh, uh, and uh, w the benefit to your question around did the role matter or not, I think that the benefit of being on a high position is that uh, you you can uh, have a, a, a very good point of contact with the leadership on things that the company is committed or already doing that we do not know as a, as a, as an employee um, or, or not. So you could have both way discussions and activate um, support in case you would we would need to uh, communicate on the intranet or in case yeah. we would need to uh, to block a certain venue to execute this event. So you need someone that will have enough credibility and. Not, uh, to, to go and ask for the things, yeah. Um, but I, I do believe as well, and that's what we brought later on, that the core team, uh, we do have approximately five people, six people that are part of our core group that do set up what is the schedule of events and what is the strategy of what we do as a network. Um, and then we have several volunteers that during the events help in volunteering and executing on the day, yeah. 
um, uh, uh, the core team does need to have a very different, a, a more diverse setup, including uh, men um, as well, because uh, uh, many times, and back to the nanny discussion, right? Uh, uh, one day I was, uh, I was talking, we say, uh, uh, I was giving a, a talk uh, to, uh, to a group of, uh, of 20 people. We, we usually uh, did uh, speak-up sessions and uh, uh, someone said, well, raised the arm and said, well, it's very easy for you to have a nanny because uh, you are a senior director I'm, I'm still an analyst yeah. and I want to have a yeah. kid and I cannot pay for a nanny. And, and that immediately made me not relatable, right? And, uh, and that's where uh, we, we started to, based on that question, to start to rethink about, well, let's not put only the senior leaders as role models. Let's put the, the entry level uh, employees as role models as well, because how they tackle that situation on maternity is very different of how I tackle it right now. Uh, uh, having the means to to have a support system behind, yeah. So so that that question of the nanny uh, really uh, brought a lot of of discussion at the time. To we do need to be more diverse and put ourselves in the feet of who really needs the help right now. Yeah. So, so it actually partially why I asked it. So that means that technically, based on what you just said, it doesn't matter what position you have within the corporate. If you want to create something, there is more pull in it if you're in a higher position to align with leadership. But technically, you could start and then see if you get somebody from leadership to align with you as well. So then anybody could start something which you started internally within the corporate. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and I'm a huge, huge uh, fan of of starting. It doesn't need to be perfect. It's going to be noisy at the beginning. Just cut through the noise. Yeah. It was super noisy in the beginning because uh, it, it's different, right? You start to open up discussions that has been treated as taboo for too long. People didn't dare to talk about it. Didn't dare to talk that women were not promoted because they were pregnant or because. Uh, and and you start to talk about that about well we our approach was not to blame the company or blame society it was about what how can we own together this discussion uh, yeah. and uh, if we do that together without figure pointing and what can you what part can you own what part can we probably change together uh, it's uh, it's an easier discussion but it has been quite noisy uh, right now we are we are past that phase already. Nice. <laughs> Okay, so then um, we're kind of going into the last questions now. Um, obviously, I cannot ignore it, but Corona hit um, quite hard now. I think I'm like it's six, seven weeks in quarantine now. Um, luckily, we're mostly digital and not because of Corona. We actually started that transition last uh, year in June already. Uh, we're quite a small company. I think our team was around 28 at the time. Um, and yet it took us a bit over six months to transition the company fully digitally. And then January was the beta kind of launch of digital. And then February, we really adapted the whole digital experience with the whole team, um, even scaled down our physical office. But you obviously manage a much bigger company. How prepared were you guys? How is the whole impact 
yeah going on you obviously you don't have to commute so i'm assuming it's a little bit easier on that side but yeah how are you guys handling corona and what's happening on your side yeah so um uh, the i i believe that it was uh, a much easier transition for uh, my team than it has been for for the broader um uh, company in general right and uh, and i will explain the, the reasons why so uh, as uh, as i mentioned i do i'm responsible for the north of europe and uh, uh, the the team is uh, is spread in in 11 countries uh, with uh, with offices in in, in germany and uh, in, in stockholm and the netherlands so we did have offices in other in other countries, but we had closed in the last years those offices to centralize people in those uh, countries that I just mentioned. And uh, my, my team is the only one that is a consolidation of 11 countries. All of the other teams, they are uh, London team is London is all together. Uh, French team is Paris all together. Uh, uh, Italy team is based in Milano. Uh, a Spanish team is based in Barcelona, right? So what uh, what the difference is that my team is already used to have weekly meeting meetings uh, uh, over video conferencing. That how how we how is a normal life for us. And what software do you use then? We use Blue Jeans uh, as a company. I don't I don't know that one. Is that something new or? Right now I'm having I think and it's much easier to use Zoom than Blue Jeans. So so right now we are kind of uh, we still use Blue Jeans because it's the one that we corporately we use it within the the, the company, right? Uh, but uh, uh, whatever other meetings I'm having, I'm using quite a lot of Zoom uh, as well. Uh, and uh, so so overall the way we operate has always been remotely. Uh, and our our set of countries as well, especially if you look Scandinavia and uh, and Germany, uh, they are highly digitalized already. So lots of our business already is done digitally. The way we engage with our accounts, the way we engage with our our customers. So uh, actually, it didn't change that much. If uh, if I look into my Italian colleagues, uh, for them has been a huge change because they are used to go to the office every day to have the face-to-face -face meeting to welcome the customers physically. Uh, we, we did have the advantage of being quite spread uh, as a set of uh, clusters that, I, that, uh, that I'm responsible for. And, um, and it was almost, uh, it was just that we couldn't travel that much uh, and we cannot travel that much. But uh, uh, apart from that, it's, uh, the main hurdle is how to how to cope with everybody kids at home because uh, you have all the kids <laughs> in the background <laughs> well they are it's now like uh the 22nd of april they are now slowly starting to reopen uh schools well at least in the netherlands they're gonna reopen um the the under 12 years um after may uh the, the may vacation so that should help with that i think yeah, so my kids are still, um, so what, what we did that helped quite a lot is that since the kids are, are homeschooling uh, are with the remote schooling, uh, they went to Sweden and they are taking the classes from, from Sweden uh, on their ah. school based in Netherlands. So, so at least they can stay a bit more with, uh, with dad uh, during the period that they, they're t learning from home, which, which also, it's, a, it's an interesting phase for them. They are a bit more with But uh, isn't, with isn't education different? Um, like, is it the same level? Are they learning the same things? 
No, no, they are they are learning still from their school in Netherlands, but it's everything remotely, right? So they are just taking ah. their remote classes from based out of Sweden. Uh, right. instead of being in Netherlands uh, with me. So uh, I'm having a bit more, more freedom right now and uh, it's uh, enabling them to be a bit with dad. And, and Sweden is not on lockdown, so, so they also have more freedom to go and do sports outdoors. Is it, and... Isn't that, don't you find that crazy? Because Sweden is one of those countries that didn't impose the crazy lockdown. Yeah, and, and it has a reason to be, uh, Luba, because... Um, the way society works, there is already a natural social distancing. Um, people do not come that close. Uh, you, really? you, you do keep a bit more of a, of a distance to, uh, to strangers or people you do not know. Uh, you do not, when you are lining up uh, on a supermarket, you do not come as close as you do in Netherlands. You, you keep naturally a distance. So, uh, so, so the, 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 um, Society tried right now. The government tried to uh, to uh, do a more intelligence lockdown, and uh, and it has yeah. been working. And uh, it's not that it's not willing to revisit in case it doesn't work. But right now there there are less restrictions than the rest of Europe and the rest of the world. Interesting. So pretty much, um, they're just studying uh, Dutch school, but they're in Sweden right now, and then it's less strict than here. <laughs> But cool, I think we are slowly kind of uh, getting to the end. Before we finish, I always have like simple questions, which is uh, what kind of books are you reading and what kind of books would you recommend for our listeners? <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's, uh, it's funny. Uh, uh, right now, I, I love to read several books simultaneously, so I... I do, I do have uh, that uh, that habit since since I'm young, and uh, right now I'm just uh, uh, reading a, a book called The Outward Mindset, uh, and and it tells a bit about uh, how can you take full ownership for uh, the context of whatever happens in your life, right? So. Uh, so it's uh, it's quite an interesting because it also uh, gives you examples of things that you would probably blame on the context or on the out world, out, outside world, but you should uh, how things can be very different if you try to uh, to own the change, not own what is happening, but to own the change. Yeah. So that is the uh, outward mindset. Um, then um, uh, the, I, I'm reading a book that is quite of, uh, of a very light novel uh, that uh, that is called Nine Perfect Strangers, uh, and uh, the, the the book is about nine strangers that go to a spa and all with a different uh, intention in that spa, and how and the book discusses about how very heavy topics that they go through, but in a way that is very light. So it helps yeah. you to analyze heavy topics within you. Uh, on a very light uh, and even even a funny way, um, uh, and um, and uh, the the third book I'm I'm reading right now it's uh, it's probably an indication of what's coming next is uh, is your first hundred days so I'm I'm getting prepared to probably move jobs <laughs> but it's still not confirmed and and I just before that happens I'm just. Uh, uh, studying a bit, what can I do uh, on the next hundred days when I when I when I move uh, a role and change role? 
What kind of role do you think you'd want to do? Do you want to do corporate or start your own business or something like that? Yeah, so right now I, I'm looking into... I, I love that it does have... When it has a global component to it, right? I, I do like uh, um, that to leverage the ability that I have of uh, working cross cultures and cross, uh, cross countries. Uh, I, I really... I'm passionate about the digital space, so uh, whatever does have a digital component to it about how can we change business models of things or industries yeah. that that did not develop that much and coming from a consumer space, I do know how to digitally connect with my consumers uh, on on a way can i can I bring that to to other industries or to to a, a non non uh, non corporate world as well, uh, and and be able to facilitate uh, and shape the future of, of how some some processes are, are set. So I'm looking into that that field. Yeah. And and back to your question about is there a book that I would advise um, to the to the readers? I'm I'm a big uh, I love to 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 read um, uh, leadership books. I'm a big fan of leadership books, and I cannot give the name of one. Uh, but I I I write quite recently. I started to listen to uh, to also several several podcasts. So there there are a couple of uh, podcasts that I would highly recommend, and uh, uh, it's from the Harvard Business Review. Uh, the the topics yeah. that they are tackling are quite relevant. Uh, uh, for if you're on setting up your own business or if you uh, do have curiosity on a certain industry because uh, cross-industry polarization is super, super uh, important, whatever you are. Uh, and yeah. they, they give you like a 30-minute capsule of very relevant themes and, uh, and I would highly recommend uh, they're available on Spotify uh, as well. That's a good one. Uh, and then last uh, question, which is any tips uh, or tricks or any last thoughts or nice story to tell for founders or people in, working in corporate right now? Um, yeah, anything, last thoughts that you can tell them? Yeah, well, I, what helps me to keep on going yeah, even if things are tough uh, or to keep centered when things are going too well <laughs> is uh, is to have a certain routine that uh, that are really leveling up my energy right so uh, my routine is that every day I wake up I do my hair I do my makeup I go up on my on my heels uh, and uh, and I, I start a new day, right? I, I start that day as that is the day that I can, that everything can happen within those 24 hours, right? So I keep that routine of setting up the day, starting the day with the energy and, and, and claiming that day. Uh, so what I, what I would give as a tip is that find whatever small ritual works for you every day. Uh, because if you, if you do that, uh, uh, you just have to do one more day, one more day, one more day, and then suddenly st things start to turn um, uh, uh, the way that you really want. It's a lot about uh, your state of mind much more than the, the moment itself. Um, and uh, 
another tip is that well you you are enough right uh, and i always say that you you are enough you do not necessarily need to uh to do uh exactly as the other person uh you have something that is unique make sure that uh, that you know that and and believe in that yeah i agree and i think that's a really good one to close on i want to thank you so much for coming on it's been a little over two hours, but uh, super grateful. Uh, thank you so much. And maybe I'll see you in the future again for a dinner or something. A dinner at my house so you can talk to my kids. If you like this episode, you can check out our most recent one here. And if you haven't already, make sure you click here to subscribe and see the next one. But if you're interested in more tips and tricks, then make sure to join our Facebook group where you can find thousands of like-minded people and you get direct access and support to any business question from the entire startup funding event team.